This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of bringing straight from the UK, off of a farm, out of the pandemic, Ian Mullane, keepme.ai. Welcome to the show. Farmyard, farmyard animal. That's one of the best introductions I've had for a bit, Pete. Straight it's not up. bad. I mean, you got a suspension, you got a, like a TRX <laughs> suspension microphone set, so I got to give you some props out there. Oh, man. Je- jealousy's coming through here loud and fair, Dan. You'll notice your audio volume's a hell of a lot louder than normal because we've clearly got a new microphone we're playing with on your yeah, end. Yeah, it's all right, man. We're upgrading. I'm not saying it was from sponsorship revenue, but, you know, I, you know I'm you funding some <laughs> I'm funding this podcast out of uh, my pro bono account. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> so, um, so first thing is, um, obviously, technology has become a much bigger theme in the industry. Um, I love the name of your company because, uh, you know, sometimes people come up with these crazy names for their companies and all these different, uh, you know, acronyms and, you know, I'm a CRM membership engagement module that I'm like, just tell me what you do. Okay. What do you do? I keep members for you. Right. Like, let's keep it plain and simple. Uh, yeah. so, so you came from outside the industry. So you're a, you're a welcomed addition to bring your, your, your mind and experience into the space. So why don't you give your, your background and then you can, uh, you can poke, poke at me as much as you want. <laughs> right. Well, let, let me start with the, the the simple aspects. So, yeah, you say I'm outside of the industry. I, I am. I view myself to in many degrees as I am. I'm. I am by training an economist, a financial engineer. Um, you're more likely to find me in the um, the hedge funds of NYC than you are to see me in the farmlands of Upland, New York State. But um, I also was an owner operator for over 12 years of a business called Vanda.fit in Singapore. Um, my experience has mainly been around predictive analytics and helping you know, traditionally banks and hedge funds understand what their risk and their trading performance was like. However, um, being an owner of a fitness business myself, um, I hypothesized. I never intended this to be a business. This was my my issue in the business. Can I possibly utilize the data that exists within my organization to predict within a time window I can do something about right. whether a member will stay or go? And that is how Keep Me came about. So did you actually build this software to run your own club and then you talk to other people about it and you know, kind of evolved into a business that someone's like, hey, I'm, I'm actually not using those types of tools. Um, can I use yours? It seems like a lot of the billing software companies in the US kind of started with a club being frustrated. They started to code their own and then it turned into a, a side business, which turned into a big business. Yeah, I, I think that's the same for us as well. I think, you know, my my I have a number of businesses. I've had a number of businesses and I had a, a software application, a SaaS platform before called LocoWise, which is a social media analytics platform used by a lot of the agencies that uh, that I sold last year. So I had that SaaS background, I had the fitness background, and then I also had the predictive analytics. And you know, generally, if you're going to build a platform of substance, it helps to have had the problem yourself sure. because you actually understand it in depth. And it was that delivery so when I set out with the, the purest vision of solving our problem, it removed the difficulties of having to try and work out what everybody else would want it for. And it was then by having the conversation. Now, I'll be frank. I actually thought the problem was our problem and 
only our problem. I always assumed everybody did it better than us. Maybe we all think that like that right, sometimes, right? right? But, the, but the reality was that, you know, the first conversations I had out in the industry, which, you know, like any of these entrepreneurs' narratives have got a good story to them, you know, it was a, it was a social interaction. And I, I mentioned to a senior guy in a very large um, a very large operator what I'd done, and you'd have thought I'd found the holy ark, right? I mean, right, it was right. like, you know, what, 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 what are you talking about? And so it's gone through the, so yes, you know, roll forward. I mean, this is 2018, 2019 incorporation. Two years later, customers in 12 countries and counting uh, during that side. And, you know, it's developed from there into that aspect. But it's not just on the membership side, Pete. I think that what we realized very, very simply is as an industry, we love to talk about the retention of our members. Actually doing anything about it is a whole different ballgame. Agreed. Right? Agreed. The reality is that in many aspects, the sales is the main area where they will look to get the optimization. I can understand that. And when we were in a marketplace where the competition was not growing as fast, maybe cost of acquisition was easier, and maybe we, we, we just didn't have any of the economic pressures that we, we, we now have, sales was an easy way of getting this done. But in reality, by bringing in the sales aspect into our platform, we've introduced people to the concept of predictive, the concept of machine learning, and then allowed member to become a part which they've actually started to utilize from there. So, yeah, I've been in this industry for 22 years right now. And a lot of people look at the attrition and they say, it is what it is. You know, there's nothing I can do about it, right? I'm going to lose a thousand members a year and I'm going to gain a thousand members a year. And then as I cut through the data over, you know, a 20 year period, you know, there's probably half of that retention that is controllable. You know, people leave. I mean, I, I looked at, you know, the last 10 years of my life, uh, I've lived in a lot of different places. I've, I belong to 10 different health clubs or studio concepts over that. So I'm like a hundred percent attrition. So I want yeah. to first apologize for, for not being as predictable as, as you'd want me to be. Um, having said that, how have you been able to, you know, change the narrative and say, look, you know, 3% attrition a month. Okay. That's the industry standard, but that's not actually acceptable. Like don't no. accept that. No, I, I, I think, you know, I, I looking back at some of the very strong guests you've had on there, you know, a guy that comes out to me and uh, the, the people who engage with us tend to be the ones that have the lowest attrition, not the highest. And that's because culturally they're driven to this being a priority in the business. So right. Frank Lawrence, for instance, at Little Rock, right? Sure. He's a, a great example of an individual who's got one, an industry leading high retention and yet is more interested and in understand how you can deliver it. Right? So technology's changed significantly the, co the consumer's expectation in a health and fitness, in a halo setting, right? They have Thank very, you. very clearly now got an understanding or an expectation of a level of personalization. It's exactly the same personalization they get with Spotify, with Netflix, and all of the rest of the stuff that comes through. And dare I say Peloton, dare I say Mirror and Tonal. Now, in the traditional operator setting, that level of personalization probably extends to no more than I'm saying, hi, Pete, as you walk through the door, how's your day, right? That's not personalization. I am no longer going there just to avail myself of a nice facility with a piece, a few pieces of kit. I'm going there as a continuation, probably, of what I am doing on a daily basis, whether that be you know, my external exercise, my mindfulness, a whole host of aspects. I want that continuation in. And technology is the only way traditional operators 
can do this personalization at scale. Because when we utilize the technology like machine learning and those aspects, we can start and then we add in marketing automation. We've got the capacity to communicate with Pete at a level of detail that's just not possible on a personal level at scale. And that's why when I look at some of the guests you've had on and you've had some you know, incredibly strong guests with an awful lot of experience and skills, they generally, in, in the ones that I can see that have done well, have approached technology as an initiator to move them forward in the process rather than them, you know, effectively as a, another cost to be burdened with. Right. No, it's a, that's a great point. I feel like um, technology, and I'll, I'll give some examples here for our guests to, to think through. Technology to me sometimes becomes a, a band aid for them actually fixing the problem. It's like, oh yeah, so I have keepme.ai, like I'm doing it, right? But but you're not really doing it. You know, you're like, you just, you're just paying a software fee and you think it's working, but you're actually not utilizing the data. So, you know, once you deploy your platform, what, what are the next steps to, to say, okay, here's, here's what you need to know and here's actually what you do about it? Isn't that ironic that in this industry as well, that's very often how our members feel about their fitness, right? So they, they, they take a gym membership and that's good enough, right? Attending it, yeah, well, we're not going to worry about that for another three months or so. Right, right. Listen, they're, they're, we're, they're, these are the lessons that, that I learned and learned the hard way, right? Which was the first one was telling them which of their members were no longer going to be a member in nine months' time didn't make them do anything about it. Mm -hmm. giving them a set of tools to then go out and take action along with that first piece of info did not make them do anything about it. Giving them a set of tools plus the information and then showing them what they actually needed to do to take action made some of them do something, mm -hmm. right? We are still at a stage where culturally within the organizations, I'm never popular with this and I don't really care, right? But we, we are... We are still culturally at a stage where I have yet to speak to anyone where they'll introduce me to, here's the chief retention officer within the business, right? Or here's the individual. Um, I, I asked the question many times to CEOs, what part of incentive compensation for the executive team is geared towards retention in the business? You want to see the blustering I got over those ones, right? Sure. It's very rare I get anything of any particular aspect of it. Um, I struggle a lot of the times even to get net figures out. I can get the sales from the previous month, and I can probably get the retention aspect of it from separately in some cases, but I don't get it. So culturally as an industry, we're not driven towards retention. And the reason is because retention's hard. And additionally, we've got too much dogma, which has been existing for 10 or 15 years about the best way of doing it and making sure your receptionist says hi to the member three times in the first four weeks and that'll give you a four percent. All of this rubbish that's out there, right? Which quite frankly still seems to get regurgitated at conferences and seminars. And we see it all of the time. Yet fundamentally, we have not had an industry change, step change in retention for decades. Mm -hmm. And penetration, by the way, is the same, right? Regardless of the rubbish we see thrown out all the time about penetrations going up year on year. No, it's not. Penetration is going down. We've got a maturing marketplace. And unless I'm missing something, I don't see too many over 55 clubs out there which are catering to the expanding market. So I think that the attention shifts to membership. It won't now, by the way. Post-COVID, it shouldn't. We've got to go sell, 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 sales, right? But when we're looking at retention, we're presented with an opportunity because 
The market is going to be continually competitive. We've got an aging population. The cost of acquisition to get people in through the door is harder. The best performing clubs that I see every time, time in, time out, are the ones with the highest retention. Not because they've got the highest retention, but they've also got the lowest acquisition cost. They've got the highest quantity of referrals and they've got the highest lifetime value for a membership. It doesn't feel like rocket science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does feel like there's a logic, but not necessarily that it comes through very often. So uh, just to give an, an, a no-name example, we're working with a, a, a club chain and they had um, 100,000 members on freeze. Um, right. Okay, over, uh, let's just call it over 50 clubs. Uh, so it was 2,000 yeah. members per club. And they're like, all right, we're going to do this email drip campaign. We're going to do uh, some text messaging. And then um, I asked the CEO, I said, how many employees do you have? You know, and, and the answer was, you know, like 1,000 employees or something in those through all those clubs that worked at different times and part-time. So if you actually take, okay, if you've actually empowered the information similar to what you're providing or, or that you are providing and saying, okay, if I just dish this out where it's, you know, f- let's just say 50 members per, per employee, like let's go and build these relationships with the tools and the information. One, how long have they been a member? You know, I, I've been going to studios for, pre-pandemic, I was going like four or five days a week and no one asked me like, what do I want to achieve or why am I here? Or what, you know, what do I want to accomplish? So I feel like there's a lot of lip service paid to getting results or understanding the member and, but they're not really posting up. You know, if you, you talk about your, your past hedge funds um, that you worked with, like you probably managed like 50 or hundred hedge fund relationships on your own. Right. And I feel like people inside the club sometimes don't, you know, post up like one person to like 50 members and say, you're responsible for like this bucket of members. We're going to give you the CRM tools. We're going to give you the predictive analytics. And like, you're responsible for this mini tribe. You know, is there, do you see people saying, all right, I'm actually not all, not, not just going to take the predictive analytics and have it like at the board level. And, you know, we're going to talk about it in this conference room. Like, let's try and infuse this and make everybody responsible for the member base. I don't know if that's a question. And, and, well, no, but it's it's but it's it's a it's a sensible statement on on the way things could work, right? And but I think that the technology should always be an enabler to allow us to deepen the relationships. The digital's the kind of opening of the door and the shaking of the hand. And then that has built up an element, even if it's a small element of trust that can then be then back-ended with the actual personal relationship. There is still in our industry sometimes a reluctance to allow technology to drive the engagement with members because they have an illusion that they've got their people doing it. They do not. Or that they believe that it'll be too impersonal. Right? I have the capacity. I have operators now who utilize this, that they can take a look at their entire membership and keep me can segregate for them the people with the highest probability that they will purchase personal training. Now, it will take that section of, say, 10,000 members and bring it down to 5,000. So there's 5,000 engagements which are likely to be responded to. Out of those 5,000, it can then say, well, you know what, Pete, if you serve him a five offer, he'll probably purchase a 10. So don't leave five on the table, serve him the 10. Ian, he's not going to take anything like a five, serve him the one. Let's bag the one and move on, right? So then we've not only have we found the people who will purchase but we're now at the stage where we're giving them something that they're highly likely to actually want to purchase 
with that value. We can add to that to make sure that Pete and Ian only get visuals in that which are relevant to them. So don't go show me a 23-year-old buff guy on that side of things. I mean, you know, quite frankly, clearly I am nearly 23 times two. But yeah. with that being said, with that capacity, what we can we know that we have the ability to automate. So I've got operators at the moment who are every single hour, every single day, are serving personal engagements at the right pricing level to the right individuals with the right visuals and the right text and context to them without any operator engagement. Where does the value come in from the operator? Hi, my name's Ian. I've just received that engagement around those uh, those five PTs. I'd really like to take that on board. Yeah, fantastic. Let's go down that route. This type of stuff is done. Otherwise, what's the other option B on this one? Is is we've got ten thousand members. Let's send them out the PT offer. Let's just throw everything at everybody and see right. what we get. We get unsubscribes. We get a lack of engagement and those type of things. One operator is an example. In this particular context, 35% increase in non-due secondary spend in the first month, right? Utilizing the same technology, 8% increase in conversion on sales on the first month. Wait for it. One-year operation, they've had 13-month increase in LTV, right? Wow. Very strong thing. This is due to having more insights about who your members are. We're not just 45-year-old male who um, you know lives three miles from the club. There's a lot more nuances in there. And these can be driven out of the data into the hands, as you said, of individuals who can then use them to translate value and make that member feel like they're in a place where they're not just the membership card. So how do you take the technology in, in your example there and make sure that everything that's going out to these specific people that there's knowledge internally that when someone does call, you know, maybe it shows up their, their cell phone number. It says Pete Moore, they could go into the system and they can actually now interact with that intelligence. That's right. And listen, that's been the learning aspect for me. So if I, if I'm coming from the data and doing the analysis and that cool stuff, the next thing was, was, you serve it out and you get the response, then how do you deal with that? So what we do is, is that, for instance, let's say, for instance, that someone responds back, that email then comes back into the platform. And then for, so it's dealt with. But here's the other thing is, is it also, the platform, because it's machine learning, it's constantly learning. Did they open it? Did they share it? Did they unsubscribe it? What did they click within it, right? Then they came back. And in mm -hmm. Keep Me, the operator is actually able to see there and then, what's the probability of Pete actually completing this sale, right? What do we need to do? And again, an area in the fitness industry, which we need to get, and, and the overall in the halo side that we need to get better at is very clearly is things like playbooks, right? We need to understand how to engage with people. And, you know, so we've got playbooks in there. We're even at the stage now where every telephone call is recorded, moves into the software, every text mm -hmm. message, every all of those aspects so that you've got it. And the machine is constantly learning and prompting you and me on how we should be engaging with that member to have things of relevance. How do you think about it? And I, I used to run a software company. I don't know if you knew that back in the day. I was on AOL dial-up, but we were doing CRM for basically for like 1,500 health clubs. Um, people were mostly doing it from their, their living room because uh, they didn't want to pay $35 for a DSL line into the club. God forbid you wanted to actually get data where you, where you work. Um, having said that, 
I always had this urge to say, look, if you're not using the technology the way I want you to, like, maybe I should do it for you, you know, and, and you kind of get into this like creep of like, like, I really want yeah. you to use it the right way. And maybe I could provide that as a service. But if I do that, then I'm basically not able to scale my business. And, and like, I actually don't want to get into your grill to the point oh. where like, now you're calling me. So how do you, as an entrepreneur say like, okay, this is the best I could do. And I want to give you the tools, but like, I don't want to run them for you. Uh, Pete, I, if, if, if I didn't know different, I'd say you've been sitting in on my bloody meetings recently, right? Because <laughs> that conversation has been current for the last three or four weeks. And, and, that, and that's predominantly because we're in uncharted territory for operators at the moment. And they right. don't know how to deal with this, right? There, there isn't a book. There isn't a blog post. There isn't the experience existing in, in how to come back and find out that 75% of your members are no longer in contract. What do you do, right? You know, so I, I, th th there has to be... Uh, okay, well, the, the secret to it, quite frankly, is, is onboarding. It is to provide them with early wins, yeah. which prove the point to build confidence. If I was to give you an understanding of all of the areas that keep me would have the capability to have, you'd be pleased, but also alarmed because you'd be thinking, whoa, that's a hell of a lot of responsibilities being handed over to a piece of technology, right? And what happens is, all of those choices cause paralysis and they don't do anything. <laughs> right, they just right, don't. Yeah. And then they end up just looking at the insights all the time going, well, that's cool. And they don't do it. So what we do very early on is identify some key criteria, key actions that will have a measurable impact, but have also have the capacity for their customer to feel in control. And you know, if you look at some of the customers that we've got, you know, people like Styles Fitness in Illinois, a good example, right? So, you know, they, they they start off looking at managing a small part of the process and they grow it and they grow it and they grow it and they grow it and they, grow it and they look at the results. And that's the important thing. Always give quantifiable, not to quality driven, quantifiable results, because by doing that, you build confidence. And we also have the operator doing more of what wins rather than what does not. And still very often, when I come across things like their social ad policies that they have and those ones, an awful lot of the work they're doing, it's not actually returning much for the investment mm -hmm. that's being done and doubling down on some of the other programs that were, but that can only happen when they've got those results and have an understanding of what to do. Gotcha. Uh, you know, from a standpoint of um, how the software works and, and, and the member, you know, member referrals obviously is the best way. Yeah. For, for these groups to, to continue to grow their membership base. Um, obviously these are a lot of these companies are sales and marketing organizations and they, you know, forget that they've already got the, the members that will, will generate the additional new memberships. So how do you kind of fully educate people on, you know, you're you should be thinking about sales half the time. You should think about retention half the time, or how do we change the, the, the psychology? Well, I, I think, I think again, there's even there's a, there's two ways. So there is the there are the high driven retention clubs who've already learnt it and never need to be taught a thing, right? right. And they can see that because it, it comes to our numbers. I think in the others, just like anything in life, some people need to learn the hard way. And the hard way is when competition has increased to a level where it's a battle. It's a race to the, the the lowest point, right? It becomes a price driven with high acquisition costs. Um, we've got competitive 
effective density increasing all of the time. And then let's face it, costs are increasing. They're going to increase even more. I mean, if you take a look at the macroeconomics out there at the present time, we're likely to see inflation becoming a challenge as well over time. Mm-hmm. And it is unlikely that we're going to be able to make, as an industry, our proposition match inflation over the period of time because we seem to be seeing it driven down. So there will be some that get it because they see that the the circle of of uh, growth that comes from getting it right. There are some that won't, and it will either be too late or they will get it in time to be able to do something about it, but it will be because they've suffered the pain before they actually get around and do it. I don't think there is I don't think there is any easy answer. I do believe, though, that organizations that have confidence in what they can see, you can't fix what you don't know. And if I was to sit here now and say, show me all your members for the next 12 months, okay, out of those 10,000 members, 8,000 of those are not going to be there in March next year. And out of those 8,000, to a probability of 95%, I'll show you which ones aren't. Now, Mm -hmm. go fix it. What may worry you, Pete, is the fact that I would suggest that Four out of 10 won't do a thing, even though they know with 95% probability who's not going to be there. Why? There's no process. There's no one responsible. And the, you know what? The, I, do we even wonder whether culturally there's still so much more kudos around getting new members in through the door rather than retaining them? Right, mm-hmm. and you know, from a business perspective, anyone who thinks that watching sixty percent of your customers walk out the door year on year is a sustainable business, well, they're in a different market than I've ever seen before. Yeah. I can't. Understand. I mean, one one of the things, just you know, to kind of level up to to the financial markets, you know, a lot of these businesses that have basically stolen, if you will, the health club recurring membership script, are valued at much higher multiples than a traditional health club. So a traditional health club, let's say has 30 to 40% attrition, might be worth five or six times EBITDA in a, in a sale. Whereas you take a subscription business such as yours or a software company, you know, those those are valued at multiples of revenue or multiples, you know, like an annuity. So like yeah. 10 times EBITDA. And the only reason why is because investors think that this is a churn machine and it's never actually going to enhance itself because the business model is not set up to to actually scale once you get to a certain point it stops and then you're just basically on a treadmill just trying to keep you know the ad drops you know the the same so not really a question there but uh, you know i think there needs to be a full understanding that once you get that member in you know don't move on to the next one invest time in that person and understand what their goals are and use the technology to enhance that relationship a lot of groups that are in the middle market are just Dave and I just did a uh, executive uh, seminar for uh, New York sports clubs. I said, you know, what game are you playing? And I, you know, planet fitness plays a game called, you know, return on marketing and parking uh, Equinox plays a game on return on assets, return on investment, it's a beautiful location. And I think the middle market's like a return on relationships. And if you if you're not optimizing those relationships and understanding like that metric, you're probably not going to be successful. Um, so from a standpoint, you know, last question here is, you know, are there, do do you view these educational seminars? Do you think you have to put people inside the clubs? You know, sometimes you like going old school and saying, look, I got to get you like mind body started out doing, you know, regional educational seminars around the country and then turned into a, you know, $2 billion company. How do you feel about, you know, once everyone's kind of out and about, you know, 
going in, you know, almost like hand to hand combat. Like we're going to teach you how to do this. And, you know, this is actually going to materially change how your business profile is. I, I wrote a, I, I'm not sure if you caught it, Peter. I wrote a white paper back in December called uh, future of fitness. And, uh, um, it was downloaded a thousand times, 50 odd countries. There was a lot of appetite for it. What came, what, what came out of that was a, a, a request to have an operator's understanding of how to utilize data in their business and how to understand whether machine learning and artificial intelligence had a play. How can we, we, we know what it is, Ian. We get a good idea of how it is, right? But what we really understand is taking into account our business, how can we bring it into play? Um, I finished last weekend uh, writing that paper. That'll be coming okay. out in about three or four weeks' time. It will form, I hope, I hope it's very egotistical to make the reference, but I hope it is all an operator would need to do to be able to read it, to at least understand whether they had the applicability. The, the underlying value I'm trying to say is that within every operator's business, there is a level of gold called data, which has the capacity to change your business for the better. Now, whether it be now, whether it be 12 months, 18 months, two years, three years down the line, depending on who you are, Equinox is already doing it with Whoop and Fitness Plus and all the rest of it, right? But the reality is that understanding that it is about the data and collecting it now and having the discipline to make sure that you're doing it is there. Off the back of that educational effort, and you know, I warn people now, no one will have insomnia if they do get this white paper. It's 50 pages. Um, and it'll definitely give you the capacity to fall asleep in the evening should you desire to do so. But if you persevere, you will come out with a solid understanding of it. And I think that that will then form off the back an educational element that we're doing. What we've thought about doing is giving organizations access to a digital training right, where they can put new members of their team through to right. understand how to utilize this type of aspect of there. And that's something which I think we'll do. What we do know, definitely, Pete, is we need to take a role in this industry of not, look what we've got, it's great, try it, but educate people on why. Because what's changed in our business in the last 12 months is the advent of the digital player and whether you think they're going to supplement, take it over, own it, or just make the business the sector bigger, which is what I personally think, you've still got to play with the fact that they have the capacity to do this better than anybody currently because they don't have all of the dogma of history to be able to deal with. So there's yeah, lots of opportunity. That's a great point. Yeah, we, uh, we're working on something right now. We put a slide together and we, uh, you know, you used to battle – against a club that would open up across the street. They'd have some new pre-core equipment. Maybe they're giving out free towels, uh, bring a friend, what, what have you. And now you're up against, you know, billion-dollar venture capital-backed companies that, that view themselves as technology companies first and fitness companies second. Um, so, you know, you, you got to utilize all the tools that are available if you're going to go into this fight. So in, in closing here, you got any good quotes that uh, that you live by, or quotes that come up in your uh, your internal meetings <laughs> to share with us? We got a little quote no, library. No, to be honest, here. no, not at all, because this is a professional podcast, and it probably couldn't handle the profanity that I am capable <laughs> of delivering at normally one of our meetings right. um, on that side. Um, but no, we we have we do have a plaque. I do. My ego was large enough that they bought me a present a few years ago, and it's three simple words, and it says "Get it." 
I won't say the F word, done, right? And that's pretty much the way that we work on this action. We have a bias to action every time because you know what? Iterate, 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 right? You know, this whole concept of product market fit, it's a misnomer. You are constantly trying to find your product market fit. It doesn't matter if you're an operator, an investor, or a technologist, it keeps on going. That's where I would stay. Great. Yeah. I mean, the painting could always be wet, but as long as it's in the gallery and we're, we're using it, like let's, let, let's use the technology. <laughs> well, look, I appreciate having guys like you in the industry. Uh, look forward to meeting you in person. If we could do anything to help out uh, on the U S uh, side, which are most of our relationships are in North America. Uh, happy to do that. And uh, thanks for helping uh, sa save the, uh, save the fitness industry uh, <laughs> as we know it. So great to see you. Pete, thanks for having us on. I'm, I'm pleased you guys keep on doing the work you're doing because uh, it is valuable to be able to share the breadth of experience that you have been sharing. And I can assure you there's a great amount of people out there who get value from every single one of them. Awesome. All right, man. Well, it's good to have you on the show. Look forward to seeing you in person and uh, anything we can do to, uh, to help out and get this deployed and used to get people more results. We are going to collectively win. So... Good to cool. see you, buddy. Be safe, Thank and we'll uh, put we'll put the, uh, the that paper in the uh, in the show notes. Perfect. That's good. Thanks very much, gents. All right, guys. Have a good weekend. I want to thank my friends at Burn B R R R N for sponsoring this podcast. They are the innovative company behind the world-renowned Burn Board. Many of you don't know, I was one of the top roller hockey players in all of Nassau County back in 1988 to 1990. If I had a burn board, watch out, I would probably be an NHL legend. Got a seven-day free trial on their on-demand library of hundreds of workouts. $30 off the purchase. Check it out at shop.theburn.com. We'll have it in the show notes. Use the checkout code HALO and go burn it on the burn board. Ice hockey in your living room at home fitness. Low cost, low tech, low impact. Go HALO, burn it up.